Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO, Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Good to be here, Dan. Well, Chris, it's been a busy uh, couple weeks here for us as, as uh, things continue to change very rapidly overseas uh, in both uh, here in the U.S. as well. Um, and want to jump off talking a little bit about what we've seen just in the last uh, 48 hours within the market. Um, the market saw us seem to have reached the bottom yesterday as, as we're experiencing a big reversal in the market leadership. Uh, we've seen energy, gold, and defense are all down today. Uh, we've seen a strong rally in tech and consumer discretionary and other cyclicals. Um, we've seen oil jump down 10% or so already today. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. dollar is selling off. So you know, how, do you, how do you interpret most the, uh, the most recent price action? And do you think this is the beginning of the all clear for risk taking to resume? Yeah. So I think this is the, the end of the initial correction. Um, you know, we had noted in, in prior conversations that many levered players were still just entirely too long, even in, in the market, relative to the economic downturn that was coming, much less uh, the, the invasion of Ukraine. And that, that sell-off, which began last week, and we had talked about vol- volatility was starting to trend higher, and that would force some unwinds. Um, you know, we finally got to that crescendo beginning Friday of last week through the first two days of this week. And it was indiscriminate selling, and it was get me out of Europe, which is, you know, easy to, easy to do, you know, get me out of anything that I think has exposure. But as volatility increased just broadly, it just forced a sell-off in every sector and, and every asset class uh, for the most part. And so that, to me, it was just the initial deleveraging. We saw volume explode to the upside on the last two days, on those down days. And we've seen just a massive degrossing of levered players. Um, I don't think it's the all clear because, as we've talked about, we still have an economic slowdown x the Ukrainian crisis heading our way. We still have liquidity retreating. We have uh, the Fed really uh, forced to not be supportive of risk assets as liquidity is is retreating. Um, And we're just in the initial stages of the current conflict geopolitically. This has been going on behind the scenes for a number of years. So I I don't think this is um, the all clear. I think it's the end of the beginning of the correction. Now we have to let the data come out and we have to see if other uh, significant things occur geopolitically to determine, okay, what what is the resolution going to be uh, and what do we need to discount? Hopefully, we're past the most indiscriminate selling. It can be a little bit more discernible now, uh, but time will tell. And the, the best indication of that's going to be just watching volatility. Um, and right now, it you know the regime of higher vol is is still with us. So until that disappears, uh, this isn't this isn't the all clear. Yeah, and and let's talk a little bit specifically about the U.S. market right now. Um, you know, during the sell-off, we've seen one of the best performing indices as the, as the Russell 2000 value. Um, and that is a, a key small cap index. So what do you think that, uh, that's driving that strong relative performance of the small cap value sector? And do you think it will continue relative to the other U.S. benchmarks? Yeah, you know, it's a, it, there's some peculiar characteristics of the Russell 2000 value that means that it, you know, it, it's relatively more immune to this sell-off at this stage, doesn't mean it ultimately will be, uh, than the larger cap indices or the growth indices, primarily because it's under-owned. You know, we've been in a long-term uh, growth 
uh, environment. So the, the heavier allocations are still to small cap growth versus small cap value. The heavier allocations are to large caps versus small caps. So people are selling what they own, and they own more large caps and more growth than they do small caps and specifically small value. So that's work to that indices benefit during this sell-off. The other element is it has you know predominantly U.S. dollar exposure. And if you're a manager with a lot of Europe or international exposure and you can't go to cash or you can't buy non-equity assets, how do I quickly reduce my European exposure or reduce my EM exposure while maintaining my investment? Well, I go buy the Russell 2000 value. It gives me a lot of exposure to the dollar relative to these foreign markets and foreign exposures, and I'll get some benefit from that. So I think that's also at play there. Um, and naturally, in any deleveraging, people are selling their longs and covering their shorts. And there are lots of disintermediate companies in the Russell 2000 value, secular decliners. And so some of the best performing stocks are companies that you know we know for a fact through time and space they're going bankrupt. So I do think that there's a lot of unique things going on there. I wouldn't read too much into it. Now, there's some policy choices further down the road that could certainly benefit uh, the U.S. small cap sector versus the large cap. But those decisions haven't been made. So I don't think it's clear uh, that you can discern that, yeah, the small cap value index is going to lead broadly from here. Great. Um, and let's pass back over to, to discussion about energy. Um, so the U.S. yesterday announced that they're banning imports from, of Russian fossil fuels. Um, the United Kingdom, they stated they plan on moving away from Russian oil by the end of this year. The European Union looks to cut uh, Russian energy dependency by two-thirds um, by the end of 2022. So you know, given what we've talked about in, in several of our, our previous podcasts between the U.S. and the European Union's underinvestment uh, in fossil fuels and in energy, um, and given the time it would take to significantly ramp production or develop alternatives, you know, how, how dangerous is for energy prices globally? Um, and I pose this question today while oil is pulling in meaningfully, um, yeah. but at the same time, we're seeing the U.S. has begun to engage in conversations with, with Saudi Arabia and Venezuela. Yeah. So... You know, the thing to remember um, with with energy and with all the rhetoric we're going to hear from uh, politicians in the U.S., Europe, elsewhere, you know, we're still run by unserious people. And, and I say that they take their role serious, but their objectives are not to uh, provide a smooth transition to you know, ensure economic prosperity. That's not their goals. All the all these leaders uh, in our own Congress and our own administration, regardless of party, they're in it for their own self-interest and they're in it for their own um, agendas. And, and they're not going to waste a crisis such as this. Uh, they're going to use that for their own benefit. So take everything that's said with a grain of salt. Um, and we've had our Western leadership for a long time ignore reality. And you can ignore reality, but the consequences of doing that are going to face you front and center, and you can't ignore those. And that's where we are right now. We are woefully short fossil fuels. Um, we, we've got to start approaching this as a scientist and not an economist. We will do infinitely better if we could ban economic majors for the most part for a few decades so we can address stuff uh, from, a, from more of a science approach. I know they would declare they're a science, but I'd beg to differ. 
And when you approach it that way, you got to recognize that energy is a system and there are lots of elements of chemistry and physics at work. And we can't say we're going to uh, address these fossil fuel issues by investing in renewables. It takes a lot of fossil fuels to produce and install and develop the renewable infrastructure. There has to be an all-encompassing solution. Um, this idea that we just look at a pain point and come up with an alternative and ignore um, the pathway to that alternative just makes it, would I say, they're just unserious people. They're, they're either coming at it from a lack of knowledge or from the fact that they, they just don't care and they're just out to score political points. I've seen nothing from a policy standpoint that's going to change uh, the situation that we have being short fossil fuels and being short not just fossil fuels, but every metal um, and every major material you're going to need to make a transition to renewables. And the rhetoric we're already getting about windfall profit taxes that we've talked about for the last two weeks that we were going to start to hear about. Um, all these things are elements that drive prices higher. I mean, you'd have to step back and just assume that they're actually trying to drive prices higher to maintain the crisis and to sell people on a transition that, for the most part, requires a lot of, of sacrifice over the medium-term period. So um, I don't read anything into it than politics as usual. There are no easy answers, and I think we'll balance markets by destroying demand. I think we there's a there's a really good likelihood that we move to regional markets. We're going to see countries really focus on energy and food security, and it's going to be done regionally. Um, we may look back five, ten years from now and discover there is no global price for oil. There's regional prices for oil. And the U.S. will be priced off our marginal cost of production, Europe as well, and Asia as well. We'll just see how the alliances fall out as, as we move through these through these conflicts. And, and you know, so prior to the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you know, we've been discussing the significant slowdown in, in economic growth and inflation and liquidity. And then that was set to become apparent when we were thinking about second quarter of, of this year. Uh, the geopolitical events of the past two weeks, uh, they could potentially have clouded these factors. You know, how, how do you think allocators and investors should frame the current environment in order to make the, the best decisions possible? Yeah, you know, I, I, they need to be careful not to conflate the upcoming economic data that's going to show a pretty dramatic slowdown in economic activity. And we're likely to see over the coming months, or at least the next few quarters, where we may actually get into an earnings recession. Don't look at that economic outcome and that economic data and go, oh, well, that's because of Ukraine and Russia and the geopolitics, and that's what's driving it. That's not what's driving it. This economic slowdown and what was going to be a slowdown and in inflation, although the events in Ukraine may keep it elevated for a little bit longer, this economic slowdown is baked in the cake. It was going to happen whether or not we had uh, increasing conflicts in Ukraine and whether or not oil prices were going to spike. Now, it's that, that part of our concern was really going to be, the majority of it was going to be behind us by the end of the second quarter into the third quarter. So as we move through the year and the data gets worse, um, recognize that was already baked in the cake. 
the impact from Ukraine, the impact from coming supply chain issues, that is forward looking. And so I would you know, keep that in mind, time and space, the economic slowdown that was already baked in the cake, the tightening liquidity conditions, the decline in fiscal spending, that's happening. We'll be through that by the end of June. Now, we're still going to be left to dealt with this ongoing conflict. And it's important for people to understand the issue is not Russia and Ukraine. We have been battling Russia and China for a number of years. We've been fighting through proxy wars around the world. It just hadn't been in areas where it garners a lot of news. Uh, we've been battling for resources. We've been battling at, with, with cyber attacks. We've been you know, knocking out each other's satellites in space. So all that's happening is this, this quote, world war that is, uh, or the talk that we're about to have a world war. Well, we've been in one. And the, the big geopolitical powers are jockeying. The U.S. wants to remain the lone superpower, which isn't possible. So this is the mean reverting element of that. This conflict is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, and investors need to be prepared for that. Given the pandemic, we weren't going to go back to our pre-pandemic world. Given the moves that have been made, Russia on Ukraine, we are not going back to a world that we've seen uh, really any time in the last 10 years. There's just a whole lot of reasons that's not the case. So investors need to, A, recognize the next big slowdown in numbers is not Ukraine-Russia related. B, really look at the world with a clean sheet of paper and understand um, that it's going to be different. Um, currency flows are going to be different. How you store wealth is going to be different. Trade flows are going to be different. Uh, markets that are growing versus markets that are shrinking, when are, all of that is going to be changing across time and space. And we, we, we say it over and over, don't get caught with a lack of imagination, both positives and negatives. Don't get caught flat-footed. Really understand what's going on um, and be prepared to react and don't make binary bets. So you just said two things here, right? Uh, investors need to look out with a clean sheet of paper, and you said something that we've we've you touched upon a couple of times in, in prior conversations, right? Uh, investors can't be caught flat-footed due to the lack of imagination. Yeah. Um, do you mind just extending that a little bit? Can you give me a couple examples of what you mean by imaginative outcomes, both in positive and negative? Yeah. So you know, the obvious negatives that everybody can talk about are. You know, should you be surprised if there's a nuclear attack in Ukraine? No, you shouldn't be. I, that is clearly within the realm of possibilities. Should you be surprised if NATO gets drawn into the conflict and as a result of actions we take or others take, that there's a significant cyber attack uh, in the U.S.? No, you, you shouldn't be. There's plenty of warnings about it. It's very real. Um, and those are very significant things. You know, but even beyond those bad things that can happen from a, a kinetic standpoint or a loss of, of permanent loss of infrastructure, um, you know, we've talked about in the past that, look, just because oil could be from anywhere 100 to $200 doesn't mean you should go buy a lot of energy companies. They're not going to be allowed to benefit from this. And we've got, you know, we've already got politicians out today talking about windfall profit taxes. Um, you know, you think you may feel good about owning your Microsoft and Apple. Look, you know, there's going to be alliances formed. 
And if we sanction China, are they going to kick Apple out of China? Um, that's a big deal. That has a big impact. So if you think you, you can feel good about these large liquid investments and who the prior winners have been and all, you know, the, the rules are going to change in different pockets. And the, as uncertainty increases, liquidity is going to pull back. So there are some uh, negative things that can happen. There's also some incredibly positive things. You know, I, you look at the dysfunction of the fiscal policy and the lack of coordination in the European Union um, and the monetary policy that's really just been a Band-Aid to keep the thing together. And now we have discussion around joint issuance of bonds to go in and invest in energy infrastructure and defense in Europe. We're, we're getting that coalesc getting a coalescence around forming a true fiscal union. And that's really needed if you want the European experiment to survive. And that's an incredible positive. So look, I can you can get to a scenario where because of a change of heart internally or strategic wins externally, Putin loses power. Um, you've got a situation in, your, in, in Russia where they, through internal pressure and, and protests, maybe they move more towards a Western democracy. They weren't ready to do that. And I understand why initially when the USSR uh, you know, broke apart and, into different pieces. It's a very different environment now. So, you know, you roll forward and all of a sudden there's some resolution. Uh, you, you don't have the strongman leadership in Europe that everybody or in Russia that everybody thinks they can't survive with, but maybe they can. They form in line. We've got a, a, a more fiscal union within Europe, and that really puts China on the outside and they've got to lose some of those autocratic characteristics. That's a pretty positive scenario. Um, and I'll give you another one, which is, and we've talked about this for the last several years, we're changing currency systems. We broke Bretton Woods. You know, we stopped uh, converting foreign currency or foreign held dollars into gold in 71 when Nixon closed the gold window. Well, we basically just blew up the current system. We basically said, if you're um, enemy of the U.S. or become an enemy of the U.S. or you know, heaven forbid in the future, we just don't like you. Um, and you own treasuries and they're at our central bank or they're anywhere we have influence. That's not money. And that means, and we've already seen it, we've talked about it, the dollar using its reserve currency status. Um, we weaponized the dollar in the last 10 years in a significant fashion. And Russia's weaponizing resources and China's weaponizing supply chains. That's how we're battling out this World War III so far. We, let's hope it stays there and it doesn't escalate. What that means is as money leaves the U.S. Treasuries, the Fed may be forced to print more money to uh, prevent yields from rising, to fund deficits. The dollar will weaken. Money will move into alternative stores of value. Gold would probably be a primary beneficiary of that. But it does mean we will get better price discovery. We'll make the adjustments that need to be made. In the U.S., we'll stop relying on this perverse monetary policy and monetary stimulus that has absolutely gutted the productivity and the purchasing power of our middle class. 
and we'll start to be able to allocate capital based on real price signals. We're going to bring price discovery back into the system. That's a good thing. Um, so all of this is what everybody looks at as this one acute crisis. This is really decades of issues that have been battling it out either in capital markets or in battlefields that we don't see that's coming to a head. And so it's a, we're at the resolution phase. Uh, we hope it's a quick and, uh, and relatively painless resolution, but there's no guarantee of that. So that's why I say keep a very open mind. We are rewriting the rules across the board, and it can turn out incredibly positively. It just may take a little or a lot of pain and discomfort to get there. Well, good. I think that's good for today. So thank you so much for coming on, Chris. Um, and as always, enjoy, and we'll catch you here soon. Sounds good, Dan. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson and, or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.